Voice America business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Liz Pulliam-Weston, who is a a personal finance columnist for MSN Money and uh, syndicated columnist newspapers all over the country. She's just come out with a new book called Easy Money, How to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, Let's just sort of start off with the the general situation of where people uh, are with their money management skills and then kind of get into some of the things you propose uh, that can help people uh, do better with their money. What, what is your general sense now of how people are managing their money? Well, I think they're basically bumping along. Most people are doing okay, but I think there's a lot of anxiety over money, a lot of worry and stress, and there's a fair number of people that are dealing with debts that they'd like to get rid of, and then I think probably the vast majority feel confused and overwhelmed. I mean, there's so many choices out there. So many decisions have been thrown into our laps that were basically taken care of for a previous generation. You know, it's not just that you, you know, have a health care plan that you have to pick one, you have to pick from a dozen. You know, do you get an HMO? Do you get an HSA? What are those things? How do they work? With retirement, it's, you know, almost all on our shoulders. Social Security still exists, but a lot of people aren't sure how much help that will be. So you have to decide about how much to invest and where to invest. And a lot of these things are just now on our shoulders that didn't used to be in the past, and people are overwhelmed. It's really hard to sort through all the options and figure out what to do. A big theme in your book, uh, Easy Money, is just kind of the day-to-day management um, can be improved uh, by using the Internet and by using electronics. Just give me, give me a general sense of what kind of a difference that can make uh, to have electronic statements and so on as opposed to having paper come at you all the time. Oh, it's amazing the difference it can make in your life. If you take advantage of today's technology to streamline things, automate things, make it so much easier. One very basic example is direct deposit. We all know what that is. Your paycheck goes directly into your checking account. I was amazed to find out that one out of four people don't take advantage of direct deposit. Why Mm -hmm. in the world would you make the extra step of getting that paycheck and taking it down to the bank? It's just, you know, extra steps in your life. And frankly, it's not safe to be walking around with a check like that. It's much safer to use the electronic option. And from there, I kind of go through all the other options you have. Just one example, Mm -hmm. talking about credit cards. You know, everybody just about has a credit card. They're dealing with paying it off. If you happen to have a memory lapse and you skip a payment, you know, you completely forget about it, that can knock 100 points off your credit score, one late payment. So the stakes for making mistakes seem to be going up. Whereas if you have it set up so that at least the minimum payment comes automatically out of your checking account, you don't have to worry about that late payment anymore. You know, you can still go back and pay more, which I hope you do, but at least that minimum is taken care of. That's another stressor point in your life that's just gone, just taken care of. A lot of people are not familiar with uh, what's called the universal default clause, that if you have one payment late uh, reported to the credit bureau, uh, it can make all your other card rates go up as well. It's not just that one card rate and late fees, but it can affect your entire uh, payments on all kinds of other cards as oh, well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I hear from readers all the time, I'm sure you do too, that find that out the hard way. They have a low rate, you know, on lots of their credit cards. They skip a payment or, even worse, they are, they are dealing with like a medical bill or something that goes into collections without them knowing about it. And all of a sudden, all their interest rates skyrocket. And they're saying, how to the, you know, how can this happen? 
And then when I explain to them what universal default is, that all their credit card companies, or many of them, are cruising their credit reports looking for an excuse to raise their rates, you know, they're outraged. They say, how can this be legal? There are some in Congress that want to make it illegal, and some of the big credit card companies have backed away from it. Citibank is an example. Used to use universal default as saying now it's not going to. But there's still a lot of companies out there doing that. So the idea that you have to keep your payments and make sure all your payments are made on time, you know, has to be driven home by the fact that it can have long-reaching effects on your financial life if you do slip up and make even one error. Universal default is in the, the fine print that a lot of people never read, but in fact, by taking that card and using it, they're agreeing to this thing that they don't even know exists. In oh, exactly, cases. and I, I'm sure you've read some of that language, Jordan, and you wind up going, what in the world are they saying? Right. You know, we're fairly sophisticated about money. Sometimes it's very simple. They will say, if you make a late payment on any of your bills, we're going to raise your rate. Other times, it is so vaguely worded. I have one credit card agreement where it basically says that anything that we think makes you less credit worthy can trigger a rate increase. It's like, well, what is that? You know, do I have to? You didn't dress uh, well today. All my or cars? Right? They, they, don't, they don't even nail it down to what action will cause it. Yeah. Very good. All right, let's start from the beginning. And again, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is uh, Liz Weston, uh, who's a personal finance uh, journalist, an uh, internet uh, author on MSN Money, and her latest book is called Easy Money. How to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life. Your first chapter is called Setting Up Your Financial Life, and you talk about setting up a financial toolkit. Uh, let's go through some of the things in the financial toolkit and uh, what you think people should be doing there. Well, um, I'll jump ahead a little bit. That you know, I, Since I work for MSN, uh, it's owned by Microsoft, and they have a product named Money. You know, It's personal finance software that helps you basically organize your financial life. It's like Quicken, which is another great product for those that want to use it. But I had to make some allowances for the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't want to use personal finance software, and there are other options. You can use, like, social sites like Wisabe, um, Gizio. There's lots of different ways to kind of track your spending. But that's that's one tool in the toolkit that you can have. I also talk a lot about, you know, the, the three steps for simplifying your life, which is consolidate, automate and delegate. So the consolidation is looking around at all your different accounts, all your different credit cards and saying, okay, how many of these do I really need? Okay, you can walk through. A lot of people have a bunch of different mutual funds or they have a bunch of different IRAs that are scattered all over the place. A lot of times they can consolidate those together, maybe even get them under the same roof or the same brokerage firm or whatever and not have all this paperwork flying at them you know, from different places. And so, save fees as well. Many of these things charge individual fees for different exactly, credit cards. Exactly, yeah. And if you be. have a bunch of little IRAs, you're probably paying a lot of custodial fees where if you put them all in one place, you wouldn't have to pay those fees. So the consolidation really helps. And also I talk about um, online banks and high-rate savings accounts. A few years ago, it really didn't matter. Nobody was paying more than like a fraction of a percent <clears throat> on your savings or, or you know, 2% at most. So I was like, well, why bother? Now you can get 4 or 5% easily on your savings. So I say go out there, and while you're setting up your financial control panel, set up um, a high-rate savings account that's connected to your checking account, and you can automatically send money there. What would be some examples of some banks that offer 5% or thereabouts? Well, Indirect is the, the classic example. They really uh, grew quickly from like almost nothing to, to being one of the big players in this arena by by giving a little bit more interest, or a lot more interest than some banks. Um, and that's ingdirect.com, is that ingdirect.com. There's Immigrant Direct. There's HSBC. I mean, there's so many players at this point. And even the big brokerage, the discount brokerages, are actually doing a pretty good job of paying more. Um, Schwab, E-Trade. 
uh, TD Ameritrade. Their names change all the time, so I'm trying to remember right. the exact <laughs> names. But they all have these high-rate savings accounts, and if you set one up, hook it up to your checking account, and just make your savings automatic so the money is just going there, you are going to wind up saving a pile of money, and you're going to have your interest rates you know, working to help you build that. And again, it's all online. It's all automated. You don't have to think about it, and that's the key for getting your life set up. Yeah, the more automated, the more easy it is for people. But, but you seem to contradict this a little bit where you say you should still have two checking accounts. Why, if you try to consolidate everything, why should you have two checking accounts? Yeah, that's the other thing. I come back on it and say, <clears throat> excuse me, I have talked to so many people when in their budgeting, they can't figure out how much money they have available to spend. You know, because everybody has monthly bills, and then a lot of us have quarterly or semi-annual bills, and then there's those, you know, like holidays and vacations and other more less regular expenses, and they're like, you know, I can't figure out how much to save for what. And I talked to a bunch of people <clears throat> on the Your Money message board who have a system that works for them, and basically they have their paycheck deposited in one account, and then they transfer money to, they figure out what they owe for their bills for the year, including all these irregular expenses. They divide it by the number of paychecks they have. They have that money automatically transferred to a special bill-paying account, and their bills are automatically paid out of that, or they pay it, you know, with online bill pay or whatever they've decided to set up. They pay it out of that account. The money that's left in the original account is what they have to spend on eating out and clothes and, you know, the day-to-day expenses. And this is a case where sometimes having, you know, a little more is better, having two accounts rather than one, because it's a very intuitive system. You know, once you get it set up, you can kind of keep going with it without having to, you know, worry about a bill coming up that you can't pay. Do you think for the spouses it's good to have two accounts, one kind of the regular one, and one for, I guess you'd call it the mad money account, where you just <laughs> spend oh, on whatever boy, you want and don't ask? Really, <laughs> this is a, a real hotbed, a real bee's hive because there are folks who are just adamant that everything should be together, and there are folks who are equally adamant, who have been through a divorce or two perhaps, you know, who think everything should be separate. But in my experience, it's really good to have most of the household bills, you know, kind of have a common pot, but for each individual to have their own money. And this kind of evolved for us. You know, my husband and I got married a little bit later in life, and we were both used to having our own finances. And... When I took over the finances, because I'm the family CFO, I could see everything he was charging on his credit cards. And he said, you know, it's no fun buying you a gift because you instantly know know, Uh where I've been and what I've spent. So we set up a system where we each get an allowance. And it's kind of our own money, no questions asked. We can buy each other a gift if we want. We can also, you know, do whatever things that the other person might not think is, you know, all that important. And, you know, it really reduces the little spats over stupid spending. You (laughs) each have your own money. Okay, so that's kind of on the bill paying side. Now you also say you should know what you owe. Uh, what can you do to consolidate uh, the debts and, and make that easier? Oh yeah, this is you know we could talk about this one all day, but I found a lot of people who are not in control of their money really have no clue how much they owe, and so you need to sit down and grab all the statements. You know, go online if you need to and check to see who you owe money to, what the interest rate is, what the minimum payments are. And then you can work out a debt repayment system that makes sense. I've talked to people that were paying down their mortgages and had credit card debt, which is nuts. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't want to accelerate payments on your mortgage until you take care of the toxic debt. And the toxic debt is credit card debt and payday loan advances if you've gotten into that cycle. So once you write it all down, then you start looking at, okay, where's the highest rate interest? 
you know, which highest rate credit cards, and which credit cards are closest to the limit. And this is something that we didn't really focus on 10 years ago because we didn't understand how important credit scores are and the universal default penalty. But if you've got cards that are anywhere close to the limit, those are the ones you should pay down first, even if they happen to be lower rate, because those are hurting your credit score, and that can affect a lot of the rest of your financial life. And you could have over-limit fees if you actually end up going over the limit as well. Yeah, exactly, and that's just an awful nightmare to get into because, you know, you get the over-limit fee, and that triggers another over-limit fee, so you really want to pay that down. Very good. Okay, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Liz Weston, who's got a new book out called Easy Money, How to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life. We'll be back after this. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Bauer Power Hour will focus on ways to improve a company's marketing message. Some of the sharpest minds in marketing will be featured on the show. So listeners will get free advice from folks they normally have to pay hundreds or even thousands of dollars per hour to access. Listen live every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, that's 2 p.m. on the East Coast, to the Bauer Power Hour with host Roger Bauer on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Winner know how to activate that switch and so can you the winner's attitude with jeff and val g broadcast each friday at 8 a.m pacific 11 a.m eastern on the voice america business channel the winner's attitude switch me on the internet's only all business and financial radio network voice america business You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Liz Weston, uh, who is a very famous uh, personal finance columnist on MSN Money and in various newspapers. Uh, Her latest book is called Easy Money. Uh, how to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life. Welcome back to the show, Liz. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, before we go a little further, just tell people how they're going to be able to get the book when it's coming out and uh, maybe a website of yours to, to uh, follow up on what we're talking about here. Oh, absolutely. You can find Easy Money. You can actually pre-order it now on Amazon.com. It should be coming out in December. And I also have a website, which is AskLizWeston.com. That's A-S-K-L-I-Z-W-E-S-T-O-N. 
com, and there's a pre-order uh, button on there that you can order it as well. And what kind of questions do you tend to get at your website? You know, I've got a blog that deals with credit specifically, so folks will go on there and, you know, pose questions there. It's really all over the map. It's, you know, some people are really struggling with a lot of credit card debt. Other people have other issues. Um, the email I get, really, it goes from, you know, basics like how do I budget? And my favorite question recently was, am I allowed to pay more than the minimum on my credit card? <laughs> Which I thought was astounding, but, you know, she was being very, very sincere. She didn't know that she was allowed to pay more. The banks don't want to tell you that you can pay more, I guess. <laughs> you know, you'd think it's a given, but you'd be surprised. Yes. And then, you know, it ranges all the way to estate planning questions and, you know, FDIC insurance and just all over the map. Very good. So you can ask your questions to Liz. All right. Uh, the next day we talked about consolidating your uh, debts. Uh, now, paying your bills electronically uh, is also important to be able to get things there on time. Do you find that some people still resist uh, paying bills electronically? Oh, a lot of people do. People are so <coughs> comfortable with checks, and I think if they understood what they were doing when they wrote a check, they would lose a lot of that comfort level. Um, if you look at your check, you will see that everything a thief needs to take over your account is right there. Mm. Your name, your address, the bank's routing number, and your account number. You know, that's printed right along the bottom. <coughs> and the guy that was featured in uh, Catch Me If You Can, you know, the one that spent his youth writing bad checks, yeah. he's wrote, written a book called Stealing Your Life. And he's done a lot of research into um, check fraud and has tr designed safer checks. And even he says, you know what, I think I'm done. I'm done with checks. It's just too easy to get a check, wash it, you know, chemically alter it, even print it on, you know, $500 printers, and you can gin up a batch of, of phony checks. Whereas with electronic payments, you have an electronic trail to follow. You know, you know when that money leaves your account. You know when it lands at the other end. It it's, doesn't seem that way to people who are used to, you know, hearing about online hackers and all that, but the t the transactions, you know, where you are sending money and getting it sent back, they're encrypted and they're actually a heck of a lot safer than having a, a check floating around in the mail. And also, you're going to get there on time, whereas the, the mail, you never know exactly when it's going to get there, and if it gets there late, again, they can hit you with late fees and over-limit charges and so on, uh, so you don't have as much control over when it arrives. Exactly, and over and over on the Your Money message board, which is a forum that's on MSN Money, you know, we'll have people come on who are just outraged at the fact that they wound up paying late fees when they sent their payment in on time and I don't even have to mention electronic payments anymore all the other posters will come on and say are you kidding are you still sending ma you know checks in the mail you really have to switch over because you know we've we've gotten used to a lot of people have gotten used to a certain way of paying bills and in today's world it just doesn't make a lot of sense anymore yeah so the other thing you talk about in this uh, chapter uh, setting up your financial life is account aggregation um, so maybe describe what aggregation is and what some of the websites are that people can use to aggregate their accounts. It can really help you get control of your financial life if you can see everything in one place. If you can sit down at your computer and you can see your checking account balance and your savings balance and you can see what's in your brokerage accounts and you can see what your credit card bills are and it's just there and you're not running all over the web paying bills and trying to check you know, at these different websites what your balances are. So that's why I recommend having some way to have everything in one place, and there's several ways of doing this. My preferred method is personal finance software, like Quicken or MSN Money. It works very well, it works automatically, and it fills in for you a lot of times what you're spending your money on. So if you go to Nordstrom's or whatever, go to Macy's and spend money, the transaction will come back clothing. It helps you 
track your spending, which is so important in getting a handle on your finances. If you don't like personal finance software, there are social websites. Uh, a lot of people in their 20s and 30s like this approach where they get the information downloaded to a secure website and then they can track their spending that way. Uh, Wasabi is one example of a site that's like that. If neither of those appeal to you, simply having your accounts at one bank can help. Now, there's compromises when you do that because, you know, you might have a checking account that you like at one bank, but the credit cards aren't that great or whatever. But having all this stuff in one place can help you. And then finally, there's some, um, like, third-party sites like yodley.com that do some of this account aggregation. It's just a way to get everything so you can see it at a glance and not have to go running all over the web to get it. And that's uh, spelled Y-O-D-L-E-E. So I guess you go to yodley.com. Yeah, and you kind of have to look because Yodley's in the business of selling their account aggregation to, to banks and stuff. And I should have mentioned one of the places you want, might want to look to see if you can get account aggregation is at your bank. Because even if your accounts are elsewhere, if they have this kind of capability, you can still get it you know, aggregated to the bank website so your bank will show up. But if uh, if you don't want to do it that way, if you want to have an independent setup, just look towards the bottom of the page, and there should be something about an individual sign-up. And then M Envelopes, tell us about that one as well. Yeah, this is a really interesting little site that was brought to my attention by one of my favorite financial planners. She was using it for her clients, and it's basically set up like the old envelope system. You know, like maybe your mother did this or your grandmother. They would get money, and they'd put it in different envelopes for different purposes. Like if you, you know get your payday and you put $200 of cash, say, in a grocery uh, envelope and another, you know, 50 bucks or whatever in a haircut envelope and gas money and, you know, all these different envelopes are set up. And it's a very um, intuitive, straightforward way to keep track of your spending. Once the envelope is empty, you know, you stop spending. Envelopes essentially does that, but online. So it tracks your money online. You can see exactly how much money you have left to spend in those virtual envelopes. Uh -huh. The next thing you talk about is setting up a command center, and this is more kind of organizing the paper in various ways, office supplies, uh, files, storage. Yeah, Let's I'm, talk I'm a, little a big bit about fan that. of um, e-bills. I talked about, you know, getting your bills and your statements through the mail. That's not, or not, I'm sorry, through email, and not everybody is ready for that. But you, even if you set up everything electronically, you are still going to have to occasionally revert to paper. So what I suggest to folks is that they find some place in their house that they can set up as a command center, it's usually going to be around the computer because you know a lot of things that you do with money these days involve the computer. But you also have things like envelopes and stamps and a filing cabinet and and an inbox so that you know the bills are coming in there. And just set it up so you have everything you need and you don't have to run all over the house. And especially if you're not um, getting bills electronically, if you're getting them physically, it's important to have some sort of setup where you can be triggered to remember to pay those bills. And so I recommend everybody have a calendar. And it's either if you have an online calendar you look at every day, if you have a PDA or a phone or wherever your calendar is, or a physical calendar. And you write down all of your bills and when they're due. And it's something that, you know, you have to be able to see regularly to trigger yourself to remember to pay those bills if you don't have them set up automatically. It's what you call a bill calendar, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's, like I said, it's something where, you know, you have to write everything down. And I... I urge people to have other backups like I have my credit cards set up so that they email me you know like a week or so before the due date I have most of them set up so at least the minimum is paid automatically but the little email will help remind me okay if I have to go and do the second step which is pay off the rest of the bill 
which I do. I pay the minimums automatically, and then I go back in before the due date and pay the rest of the bill. So that's set up as email. And also, a lot of these credit cards are set up so that it will tell you if there's an unusual charge or a particularly big charge or if you're getting within X percent of your limit. You can get email reminders of all that. And you also say a shredder is important. Why is that true? Well, that's just, you know, identity theft, and it's an unfortunate fact. Um, I used to say that any old $20, you know, $20 shredder that you could find at Staples or, you know, Office Depot would be fine. Uh, you actually need to get one of those that has cross-cut that turns the, the information into confetti. We're getting better about this, but there's still way too much paperwork out there that has your Social Security number on it. And your name, address, and Social Security are basically the keys to your identity. If somebody can steal those, you know, they can take over an account or they can start new accounts in your name. So anything with that personal information needs to be run through the shredder. And also, we tend to accumulate way more paperwork than we actually need. So, you know, you need to use the shredder probably more often than you think to get rid of this old stuff. Indeed. Okay, again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is uh, Liz Weston, who's got a new book out called Easy Money, How to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life. And your sec second chapter is uh, Taking Charge of Your Spending, and you have what you call the 60% Solution. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, the 60% Solution was created by the editor-in-chief at MSN, Richard Jenkins, and he was looking at the times, you know, in his past. He's tried every budgeting solution on the planet, and he was just thinking, you know, and times when our finances worked are when the major expenses, you know, were fairly manageable. And he sort of poked around in that, and he realized, you know, if you keep your committed expenses to 60% of your gross income, then you have, you know, the 10 percent. You can you can do other things, and it's in essence, you can spend, uh, you know, 10% for long-range savings, 10% for fun money. Um, and I'm blanking on the other two 10%. You have short-term savings for irregular expenses. Short, like exactly. Okay. And he was he was realized that this is a very simple solution that people can set up relatively quickly to kind of track their spending and it and it gets across the point because we run into this a lot of times we talk to people online or you know get letters from them or emails and they'll say you know I've cut every expense I can think of and we're still struggling and I don't know what's going on and we would look at their finances and inevitably either their home payments their car or their car payments were just out of whack so if your basic expenses are too high you know, you can run into a problem. And that's what the 60% solution was designed to to do, is to kind of give you a figure where if your basic expenses are crawling much above that line, that you know you need to cut back. And if they're below that line and you want to add a new expense, you know, you want to get a better apartment, you know, get a car loan or whatever, you have a better idea of what you can actually afford. You also talk about prioritizing your goals. Um, and since there's so many things you want to spend money on, how do you prioritize where the money should be going first? Well, I think almost everybody needs to put retirement uh, investing, you know, saving for retirement, at the absolute top of the list. And here's the reasons why. Very few of us have a true traditional pension anymore. I mean, if you're a city worker or a teacher, you know, you might have that, a, a fairly okay pension. If you're in the private sector, you may have a pension, but it's probably not going to pay that much. And in any case, you know, people can change jobs, so, and they might lose that pension, or they might be disabled or whatever. So... For, for most people, retirement savings has to be at the top of the list. And because, you know, retirement can last a while, and because there's so much uncertainty over really how much you need to save, I tell people, you know, put aside at least 10%. You know, you might need to save 15% or even more if you got started late. But start as early as you can and don't stop for anything. 
you know, put that at the absolute top of the list. Mm-hmm. Once that's there, the second chunk is paying off the toxic debt, and that's credit cards, you know, payday loans, any high-rate debt that you manage to get yourself into. That's got to be the next priority. And then from there, you want to look at, okay, how is my financial flexibility? And that can be, I define that as being able to deal with unexpected expenses. So that might be the traditional advice would be three months worth of savings somewhere in a liquid account or, you know, three months worth of expenses. You know, that's a really hard goal for a lot of people to reach. It sounds good, but it's very unrealistic for a lot of people to have Yeah, it's really hard to get there. So, you know, in a a good proxy for that or something to, to start with, you know, while you're building up your savings, it's having space on your credit cards and having space on a home equity line of credit. Yeah. Okay, very good. So, uh... Again, this is uh, Jordan Goodman with The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Liz Weston, uh, whose new book, Easy Money, How to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life, is helpful in all these ways, and we're going to come back after this and describe some other ways you can make the most of your money. We'll be back after this. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellent both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Is your job heavenly or closer to hell on earth? Maybe it's time you stop waiting on employers to make you satisfied and learn how to recognize your own career contentment. Jeff Garden and his expert guests show you how every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific when you tune into Career Contentment Radio on the Voice America Business Radio Network. Contentment is yours to control and easier to achieve than happiness or satisfaction. Succeeding in your business isn't just about making a living. It's a way of life. Hosts Cliff Inenko and Susan Wilson-Solovic discuss the practical as well as the not-so-practical aspects of owning your own business. Tune in every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Succeeding in Your Business right here on the Voice America Business Channel. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Liz Weston, uh, who is a Internet uh, personal finance uh, columnist. Uh, her latest book is called Easy Money, How to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life. Welcome back to the show, Liz. Thank you, Jordan. You talk about uh, what impulse spenders should be doing and how to create a pause button. Let's talk about that a little bit. This was a great suggestion, and it came out of a column that I did about people with ADHD, ADAD, other mental disorders that created problems in their life of you know different varieties, but specifically that led to spending problems. And so the people I talked to who were coaches to people with ADD, which is attention deficit disorder, 
is to somehow put a pause button in your life because a lot of people don't understand this about ADD or ADHD, but, you know, you have, with the folks that have this affliction, they have a thought, they act on it. You know, most of us have some sort of reflection period between the two actions. These folks don't. And if you have a problem with compulsive spending or overspending, even if it's not to the point where you'd want to seek out, you know, psychiatric help, but you do find yourself just spending on impulse, having some kind of pause button can really save you. And one of the guys that I talked to carries around a list of things that he is going to buy. And he usually waits um, a period somewhere between three days and three weeks between the idea of having the thought to buy something. He'll write it down and he'll make himself wait, you know, to go out and actually purchase the thing. And that prevents you from standing in line, you know, you're about to check out and you know, buy whatever you have, have selected in the store, and you see something else, and you just grab it and buy it. And that's how a lot of people go over their budget. Well, he's got this little list. If it's on the list, he's allowed to buy it, you know, if the proper amount of time has passed. And if it's not on the list, he doesn't buy it. And he rationalizes to himself, you know, if I really need it, I can come back. And that's something people need to realize is that a lot of times you think, hey, this will be great, this will be a helpful item, I really want this thing. But if you put it on the list and wait, you'll probably find that its priority really drops after time. It's kind of like the, you know, we're all like little ravens and we get caught by shiny things. <laughs> and if you just have a little wait time put in there, you know, it's like, well, maybe that wasn't the most important thing. Yes, the impulse purchase that gets people into trouble, yes. Yeah, and, you know, clutter is an issue because a lot of us go out there and, you know, we have these, these moments of shiny, you know, got to buy it. And then we drag it home and our houses are already overstuffed with stuff and it's just one more thing we have to take care of. Right. But having that pause button can really help you sort those things out and figure out what really is important. The next chapter, you talk about credit cards, getting the most out of credit cards. Um, so let's talk about some of the b- basic uh, advice you give here about uh, if you're carrying a balance, uh, what are some of the best ways to do that? Well, if you're carrying a balance, you basically forget about rewards cards because the most important thing is getting the lowest possible interest rate. And the first thing I tell people to do is go find your credit scores, specifically your FICO scores, because those are the ones that lenders tend to use. You can get all three of your FICO scores at myfico.com, probably cost about 50 bucks. Or you can go to bankrate.com. They have a FICO score simulator, so you can kind of see where you are. And the reason you need to know this is you need to know how much leverage you have with your credit card company. If you have a credit score of, of 700 or above, you probably have some leverage. You know, you're considered to have good credit, and you probably can call up your credit card company and say, you know, I've been getting all these offers in the mail for low-rate balance transfers, and I was thinking of taking advantage of one, but I wanted to see if you guys could lower my rate first. Mm -hmm. And then you see what they say. If you have good credit, a lot of times they will. If it's not as low as you'd like, then the next step is to say, you know what, I think that's not low enough. I'm sorry, but I think I'm going to have to transfer my balance and close this account. Now, the key is to say that, but not to do that. You don't want to close accounts because that can hurt your credit score. But by saying that you're about to, you probably will get transferred to the customer retention department. Mm-hmm. And those are the folks that can wheel and deal. So you see if you can get a lower rate. And if not, you can always take advantage of some of those balance transfer offers. And you can find them on cardratings.com or bankrate.com. There's a lot of sites that have them. Just make sure you read all the fine print because you'll usually pay some kind of a fee to transfer the money, and you want to know exactly how long the low rate lasts. But these are ways you can use to get your total interest costs down, again, if you have good credit. Now, if you don't have good credit, you talk about talking to credit counselors. What should people look out for 
in dealing with credit counselors? This is an issue in, a, in an industry that really got overrun by the bad guys in the 90s. There were a lot of companies set up that pretended to be not pro- non-profit or not-for-profit that actually were for-profit, and they were doing awful things like, you know, taking people's payments and putting it in their own pockets or, you know, delaying payments to make money off the interest. They were telling people that credit counseling wouldn't affect their credit scores, which it can. So all kinds of bad things were happening. And the IRS finally, you know, has started to clean up the industry a bit. They've closed a bunch of these places down. But what you really want to do is if you are having problems making your minimum payments, you know, if you're actually falling behind or you don't think you'll be able to make your minimums, then it might be worth exploring credit counseling. And what they can do is they can help you with budgeting and education. They can also put you on a debt management plan. And like I said, it can have some effect on your credit. It doesn't directly affect your FICO score, but, you know, lenders can view credit counseling kind of askance. But it's a way to get your interest rates down and give you a manageable payoff plan. And you want to go with an agency that's affiliated with the oldest one, which is the National uh, Foundation for Credit Counseling. That's nfcc.org. So November Frank... uh, Charlie Charlie. Charlie And those are the ones that that are the, you know, true nonprofits. They've been around for a while. Now, saying that, if you're really having credit problems, if it's bad enough to go to a credit counselor, also set up an appointment with a bankruptcy attorney because you really do want to go over all your options and see what makes sense. I've seen way too many people who drained their home equity, who spent every dollar of retirement they had trying to pay off credit card bills and winding up going bankrupt anyway. So they've wiped out all their assets that would have been protected in bankruptcy, and they wound up there anyway. Although the new bankruptcy, though the, you know, the bankruptcy law is about two years old now, doesn't it, you, you, if you go into bankruptcy with a lot of assets, you're not going to get a Chapter 7 liquidation. You'll have to do a Chapter 13. Right? Yeah, exactly. And the Chapter 13 is basically a repayment plan, which is kind of what you'd be under with um, with a credit counseling. The but it's going to hurt your credit much more to do a bankruptcy oh, Chapter yeah. 13 than a credit counseling. Oh, right? yeah, definitely. And because, you know, the bankruptcy stays on your record for seven to ten years, the, you know, the credit counseling notation is going to be gone as soon as you're done. The difference between the two is if you have a lot of assets, and these are the people that we're talking about, at the end of five years, the rest of your debt is erased. Now, I've, it should be that if you can pay it off within five years, you, you should try to avoid bankruptcy. But if you can't, then at least that amount is taken off the top. And we should point out, Jordan, that the vast majority of people who wind up in bankruptcy court won't be funneled into a Chapter 13. If you don't have many or any assets and your income is below the median for your area, you won't get that means test. You won't have to do with all those onerous things and, and have a five-year payment plan. You, you probably could And you've got a Chapter 7 seven. liquidation, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So right. it's still an option for people that have a lot of debt and don't have a lot of assets. Yeah. Uh, you talk about zero uh, percent jockeys, or uh, what I like to call credit card surfing. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, this seems to be a, a new national sport these days. Uh, wh- what are some of the uh, downsides? I think you have to be careful about doing uh, jockeying around for zero percent financings. Well, Jordan, I'm sure you had the same, you know, kind of worries that I did about writing about this. The people would try it that were very ill suited to it. But here's the thing: you basically these guys look for zero percent rates, and it's not just to bounce about, you know, bounce their balance around that they can't pay off. What they're literally doing is borrowing money and then investing it at a higher rate of return. They're basically doing what's called arbitrage. Yes. And what they specifically look for are offers that allow them to either write a check to themselves and have it still treated as a balance transfer and not a cash advance. That's a big, that's a big distinction. And then they put that money in to invest it. Or sometimes they, the credit card company will actually deposit the money directly into their account. 
Now, the distinction that I just said is, is so important because usually a cash advance comes with double-digit interest rates. It's really expensive, and you can't do this 0% jockey thing with those kind of rates. So you have to make sure that the offer says that you can write a check to yourself and it won't be treated as a cash advance. There's fewer and fewer of these offers out there. I'm, I'm seeing that world kind of dwindling. But there also and there's also a fee involved, not only high interest rates, but some kind of a cash advance fee. That yeah, can be exactly. And that's 3%. It used to be limited, and now some of them are not limited at all. Exactly, and that's really what you have to watch out for. The fees tend to be 3 to 4% to do this, and it used to be that you know they would cap it at whatever, $50, $75, $90. Some of these offers have no limit on the cap, and so you really can't make money that way because you're only investing it at 5 or 6% at the most. You know, and between the fee and everything else, it's really taking a lot of chance for not much reward. But that said, if you can find the right offer that has a capped fee or no fee that allows you to use a check as a, as a balance transfer, you know, I talk to people that are making hundreds, even thousands of dollars a year doing this. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's, it's a scary thing. You really want to like research the, the carry it before trade. you try it. <laughs> and you also have to watch out for damage to your credit because when you take advantage of these offers, you're moving big balances around because we're talking about $10,000 or more, and that can really ding your credit rating. So you really have to be careful about that. One place you talk about is FatWallet.com. Tell me about what that forum is about. Yeah, FatWallet has a bunch of things going for it. It's, it's kind of primarily a coupon site showing you where the deals are on the web, but they have forums, and folks get together and kind of share the, the offers that they've found because a lot of these aren't widely advertised. They might be sent to just a few people. But if you're kind of in the know, you can call up the company, and if you like if you have a Chase credit card and they happen to have one of these offers floating around, you might be able to get it. So people talk about the offers that are out there and also talk about the downsides and you know what they've experienced. So it's, if you're curious about this, do your research. I wrote a column about it on the web. I write about it in the book. Really do your research to make sure that you're comfortable doing this and that you are the kind of person who can do it. I mean, you have to be fairly financially sophisticated. You have to be very detail-oriented. You really have to pay attention to like due dates, things like that. And this is not something to do if you traditionally carry a balance. This is something if you're regularly in the habit of paying off your balances and you're going to invest the money so it's always there so you can pay off the balance in an instant. Uh, as far as finding the best cards, you break them into four basic categories, uh, which is airline frequent flyer cards. What should people watch out for there? A lot of people started out with an airline frequent flyer card, and it hasn't worked out very well for them. The airlines are making it harder and harder to cash in these miles. You know, it takes more and more to get anywhere. There's fewer and fewer seats. And so a lot of people are feeling pretty frustrated because most of these airline rewards cards comes with a fairly hefty annual fee. And if you only use the offers, like once every few years, you'd be better off just paying cash for the ticket. Mm-hmm. So I basically say that airline frequent flyer mile cards are best suited for elite frequent flyers. If you're the kind of person that flies 25,000 miles or more with a single airline, um, one of these cards can help. You know, it helps you get upgrades. It helps you uh, put those miles to use. Or if you're going to use it for international flights, uh, because those, it can work out, you know, especially if you want to go business class or something like that. Everybody else should kind of take a look at other um, other rewards options. If you are in the habit of paying off your bills in full every month, you have a lot of different options that probably are a better fit than an airline card. You talk about cashback cards, for example. So you think those are good ideas? Yeah, I think for people that don't carry a balance. So, you know, you should be getting at least um, rewards back equal to 1.5% of your spending. That's sort of the golden rule at this point. And then you talk about savings rewards cards as well. You can actually have the money being saved for you. Yeah, putting into a 529 plan or helping to pay off your mortgage or whatever your goal happens to be. There's a lot of those out there, too. 
Very good. Okay, again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is uh, Liz Weston, uh, whose new book is called Easy Money, How to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life. We'll be back after this. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. No matter what your business is, your company's employees are your most valuable assets. Corporate mentoring cultivates and strengthens your employees' skills and talents so that everyone benefits. Tune in every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern to Mentoring Matters. Mentoring in today's business world with hosts Rainey Petrin and Dave Carson and discover what a mentoring program can do for you and your company. Link up with Chris Curtis on WebWise Business and discover the millionaire in you. If it's the web you want, it's the web we've got. And it's the Chic Geek bringing it to you live. Tune in to WebWise Business every Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Radio Network. Get your click on. Get your click on. With the Chic Geek. Line in business. Voice America business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, and my guest this hour is Liz Weston, uh, whose new book is called Easy Money, how to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life. Welcome back to the show again, Liz. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, buying homes and cars is a big uh, topic, probably the two biggest uh, purchases uh, people will be making. Uh, give us some of the advice you have about uh, when you're ready to buy a home and, and what people should be doing uh, to get the best deal there, particularly in this, this market we're in today. Oh, yeah, and things have changed so much. But I wrote this uh, chapter before the subprime meltdown really got underway, and it sort of pointed out the importance of the old-fashioned advice. And one of the key things is if you cannot afford a house with a traditional 30-year fixed-rate loan, you probably can't afford that house. Now, that said, there are a lot of other mortgage options out there for you. There's a lot of good reasons for choosing something else other than a 30-year. But if you can't afford the house that way, that's a pretty good sign for you that you're trying to bite off more than you can chew. Now, the market, the mortgage market at this point, it's a lot harder to hang yourself, I think, than it was even a few months ago. Mm-hmm. You know? The idea that you could walk in with bad credit and no down payment and not have to substance, you know, uh, prove your income, those kind of loans have gone away. But there's still a lot of ways for people to get in over their heads. So basically what I say is even if you don't go for the 30-year loan, make sure you fix your rate for at least as long as you're going to be in that house. So... The first thing you do is figure out what you can afford using a 30-year traditional loan, and then you look at what you can get if you fix the rate for as long as you're going to be in the house. So if you're going to be there, you figure seven years, 
you get a hybrid, and it's fixed for the first seven years, and it goes adjustable after that. That way you're not betting on future interest rates, you're not betting on a certain amount of appreciation, whatever. You're, you're kind of paying down your mortgage as you go along, and it's fixed for while you're going to be in that house. If you don't know, though, it's perfectly okay to go with that 30-year loan. They kind of got a bad rap during the mortgage boom, and everybody was you know, pushing everything else under the sun. But there's, there's a nice security in a 30-year loan. You do pay a little extra for that security, but you know your payments are fixed. You know what they're going to be every month. Inflation becomes your friend because that payment feels smaller and smaller over time. I've talked to people that were in the last years of the 30-year loan. It's like, yeah, you know, my mortgage payment's less than my electricity bill. What a lovely position to be in. Yes. Not having to worry about it. Because everything else is going up with that, yes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's there's something to be said for that. So if you do know how long you're going to be there, fix it for at least that long. If you don't, a 30-year fixed rate loan is a perfectly fine solution. You then talk about a timeline for buying a, a home and the things you need to do a year before, six months before, several months before. Just kind of give a brief idea of what some of the things you should do in preparing to buy a home. Yeah, the first thing you should really do is go out and get those credit scores that we talked about before. Uh, MyFICO.com is the place to buy them, about 50 bucks to see your scores. And people are confused on this point. You do get a free look every year at your credit reports, but scores are not free. And the credit bureaus tend to sell scores that aren't FICO scores. The credit scores that aren't the ones used by mortgage lenders. So if you're going to look at a score, go get a FICO, and then see what it says for what you need to do to help improve that score. And especially in this market, you want to try to get your score to 700, 720, or above. You will have the most options if you can do that. And so if you do, you know, if you start this practice or you start this uh, preparation far enough in advance, you actually can do a lot to boost your score. You know, you can do things like pay down credit cards, you can uh, refrain from opening new accounts. That's very important when you're in the market for, you know, a mortgage. Don't open new accounts. Don't close old accounts. So doing the things to set you up for your credit, figuring out how much you can afford, you know, for a monthly payment. You have to factor things in like insurance and property taxes and maintenance and repairs, all that kind of stuff. And the other thing you should be doing is, you know, starting to look around, see see what that can af- you can afford. Having a relationship with a real estate agent is really important if you're a first-time buyer, you know, because they can help you get familiar with the neighborhoods and, and give you some guidance. And it takes a while to find the right person. So, again, and, getting and this. today you have plenty to choose from. And yeah, everybody's going to be desperate for you, so, so you might as well uh, start uh, interviewing them now. And the other thing is, in this market, having a 5% down payment is essential. You know, it used to be that you could kind of slide through without a down payment, in some markets and with some loans, you still can, but it's really, you'll have more options if you can at least put 5% down and preferably 10% down. Yeah. Before we run out of time, I want to talk about cars a little bit. Uh, you, give some of the basic advice you have about smart ways to buy cars. Yeah, this one, another place where people really overspend. Um, the first thing you need to know is that, you know, if you can't afford it with a four-year loan, you can't afford the car. I'm sorry about that, but it's true. And if you're going to buy a new car or actually any car, make sure you have some equity in it. You know, if you're going in and buying a new car, you should be able to put at least 20% down. If you still haven't paid off your last car, you can't afford another car. <laughs> One out of four home or car buyers now is rolling debt from their old loan into their new loan, and that's just absolutely insane. You wind yeah. up underwater, owing more on the loan than the car is worth for years, and that's such a dangerous place to be in. If you get in an accident, if somebody steals that car, you know, you're not going to get back from the insurance company what you owe to the lender. But so the cars depreciate a lot faster than the loans are paid off. Exactly. And that's you know, how you can become you underwater in your lot. car very quickly. Yes, yeah, especially with a new car. It just it just drops in value. So you want to have 
some equity, either a down payment if it's a new car or even a used car, and don't don't roll the debt from your last car into the new one. Okay, and uh, before we close here, you have a chapter on being a savvy shopper. Uh, what are some of the, the sites that you recommend there and ways of uh, getting the best deals when you're shopping? Oh, I'm a big fan of online shopping, but I'm also a fan of the places that help you find bargains. Fat Wallet is one of them, My Bargain Buddy, um, Ben's List, Slick Deals, Deal News. There's so many of them out there. And you got to be careful because this can be addictive. But you know, as you're shopping, you should go out and see what the, what the deals are. And I think everybody should have a subscription to Consumer Reports. I think they're a wonderful resource. I think it's 26 bucks or something to have online access to their vast database that you can look through. And anytime you are, you know, evaluating a product, look for a place that offers good reviews. CNET is a good one for a lot of electronics. Um, see what other people have to say. And, you know, bookmark all these sites and have them on there. Anytime you buy something online, see if you can get a coupon first. A lot of online coupons are available where you Type in a promotion code and you get 20% off or free shipping or something. What, what are some of your favorite coupon sites? Uh, well, My Bargain Buddy is one of them. I like Alex's Bargains. That's another one. Uh, I think coupons. it's Alex's Coupons, actually. Yeah, Alex, yes, thank you. Alex's Coupons. Uh, that was a family that started out to help their child, I think, with um, with leukemia and wound up uh, doing a pretty cool pretty cool site there. So. Mm-hmm. And some, you know, if you can't find anything else, just try a, a basic search engine. Put in the retailer and the word coupon and see what pops up. You said uh, you've got to be careful about price guarantees when you buy things online. Is that right? Yeah, this is a really, this is a harsh one that people <laughs> need to learn, which is it's a lot cheaper to make a guarantee, you know, than to actually lower your prices. So a lot of places that insist that they will match, you know, a price, a low price, assume that you're not going to do the work to bring it to their attention, and then if you are, you're going to have to jump through a heck of a lot of hoops. So don't let a price guarantee make you stop shopping. That's what they're intended to do, but you still need to go out there and see what, you know, what the comparable prices are, and there's lots of places to do that. My Simon is a classic, or um, uh, Google Product Search, I think it used to be called Frugal, but there's a lot of different places to go and see what other retailers are charging. And don't just assume that if, if there's a price guarantee that they're actually going to give you a lower price than somebody else. And then you talk about when things go wrong uh, online. What are some of the tips you have about uh, you know complaining if something didn't go right, buying something online? Online or offline, the key is to be firm, persistent, and polite. You can't get ahead by losing your head and screaming at anyone. So know what you want as far as a solution. Um, if you don't get what you want first try, keep working your way up the ladder. And be very clear about what you think the uh, the solution should ultimately be. Very good. Well, there's lots more we could have gotten into, but we got a, a sense of anyway what's in Liz's book. Uh, again, this uh, uh, book is going to help an awful lot of people. Uh, my interview has been with Liz Weston, uh, who's written a book called Easy Money, How to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life. Thanks so much, Liz. Really appreciate it. It was a pleasure, Jordan. Thank you. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.